All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya Georgetown basketball co- podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm here today with special guest, former Hoya Monica McNutt. Monica, it's great to talk to you. Bobby, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I've been a while in the industry. Um, it's terrific for us to have a chat, finally, that is recorded and shared with others. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it was great. Uh, I've had you on the list of people I wanted to talk to. I think I got your number last year at a Redskins game. And Correct. next thing you know, it's already football season again, and that's not even their name. So, Monica. <laughs> so, Monica. Um, obviously, you're part of the Georgetown basketball community. You played there from 2007, 2011. And, you know, obviously right now, the passing of Big John has been, you know, just had such an, such an effect on everyone. Um, and I thought, you know, there's been so many things out there. You wrote something for The Undefeated, which I thought was a really good piece and a different look at Coach John and just how how he affected so many people and particularly the women's team, which he never was the coach for. So can you just talk about this? It was about you and Sugar Rogers, and it was just a really, really good piece. Um, thanks, Bobby. First of all, I got to say, folks like yourself, you know, you've obviously got a major pedigree in the industry. George Solomon sent me a note who was one of my former professors and the former ombudsman at ESPN, um, my grandma, who matters to me. But a couple of different people have reached and said what you just said, that that piece was a really unique and interesting perspective. And so my heart was warmed by those messages. So thank you for saying that. But I think my Absolutely. intention with that one was definitely, as I was consuming and reading all of the wonderful pieces, I think two stand out for me. Kevin Blackstone wrote a great piece. And um, Al Shapiro, I think, I hope I'm not messing up the writer's name, but he had a great piece in the post about his time with Big John as a coach and how he worked with Big John to help train Big Pat, as we call him, for media. So I was reading all of these wonderful pieces, John Feinstein, um, so many. um, And I just kept thinking, you know, these are all written by men, you know, and not that anything is wrong with that. They were the chroniclers of history at that time, but their perspective was all heavily in the men's game and rightfully so John Thompson obviously was a men's coach but I just wanted to share my experience with him and how because I grew up in the DC area and my dad was at St. Anthony's when Big John was still a high school basketball he followed him closely and I sort of was born into that when I had the opportunity to meet him in my recruiting visit I was just as in awe if not more so than my counterparts who would have been Chris Wright and Austin Freeman you know yeah um but what made it special was that he was interested in women's basketball at Georgetown. In this, I won't say in the same way, I'm not going to be naive, but in a sincere way, took us aback. I mean, he didn't have to be on my recruiting visit. Well, who, who cares, right? Um, and then the next level of that, obviously, was when Sugar Rogers came to our program, who is, you know, older, has gone on to have a WNBA career, arguably one of the best to do it as far as women's basketball at Georgetown. When she yeah. came to campus, he took such a unique interest in her, sincerely. And so when I sat down to write the piece, um, shout out to my amazing editor, Janisha Watts, because it was sort of all over the place because it was so deeply personal for me. Sugar is a dear friend to this day. But I remember her arriving on campus and her telling me she was leaving and she was going home and the only thing she needed to do to get by in classes was read the front and back of the book. And so here I am really wanting to win and understanding that this kid had the potential to turn our program around 
but also, you know, being two years into my Georgetown career, well aware of the academic requirements to be a student athlete on our campus. So I didn't know what to do. And so for Big John, this person whose legacy is huge and um, he just speaks and things get done on that campus, to take such a sincere interest in her, I watched how he was able to cultivate her in many ways. Cause, and I wrote about this in the piece. She wasn't a bad kid. She had just lived a life that many of us could not relate to in terms of the trauma that she experienced and, and the unfortunate things that happened to some of her family members. And so big picture, when you think about Sugar Man from the 757, which is the same area that Big John pulled AF, right? it's just, it's so special because he didn't have to, he really didn't have to take such a sincere and genuine interest um, in what we were doing as women's basketball. And I know for me personally, the last time I saw him, this past season at a game at Capital One Arena, you know, and of course he's mellowed down and not very many people can get close. Um, but yeah. I did have a chance to say, hey, and he asked me what I was to in terms of the media and I gave him a quick rundown and he shook his head in the way that he does and kind of looked at me and said, I'm proud of you, girl, keep going. And like now, I mean, then it meant a ton to me, but now having that be my last conversation with him, it means that much more. Yeah, So, so when you say that, when you talk about sugar got there and said that she's leaving and you, you would, I think told then assistant, you know, sorry, she's out of here. Was that before she'd ever played a game? Was that this, like, she got there and was like, I'm out. <laughs> this was summer. She okay. arrived. Sugar's, sugar's two, two years under me. So this right. was summer, 2000, 2010, mm-hmm. summer, 2009, going into the 2009, 2010 season. Okay. And they're like, Monty, you're the captain you got to look out for sugar, right? We're sitting in the library. First of all, she's kind of closed off, right? She's, you know, she's, this is her first major experience from home. She's on this campus. Yeah, basketball has been a vehicle for her, but she's not one that has been cultured and had all these variety of experiences. And at the end of the day, Shug literally, and I wrote this in the piece, was just trying to survive and protect herself. So I'm in the library, you know, I'm a junior now, about to be a junior, got the rhythm of how things go on campus, super excited. Um, What are you doing? one word answers like I got this class they gave me these books I'm like okay great like can I help you you know I'm happy trying to help be my new teammate she's like I'm going home like I don't have to do this I'll be back when school starts like I'm going home they want me to read all these books I'm not doing that I'm gonna read the front and the back of these books and that's it and I'm going home I'll be back and I was like um no you can't do that and she's like no I am like I already called my people (laughs) so I get on the phone with Keith Brown our assistant and I'm like help I don't know what you want me to do with her like I, I can't make the girl say, I don't know what you want me to do. Um, and he's like, listen, you, that's, she's your project. We're going to win. You have to take care of her. He's like, I'm going to call her. She's not going anywhere, but you have to make sure she's okay. Um, and so then, much to her chagrin in many ways, um, I just kind of forced my way in. And over time, I think basketball allowed us to connect. And I think she saw that I truly had her best interest at heart. And I, you know, I had to go to bathroom shakes sometimes in terms of the dynamic of our team because she was sort of an outlier and not everyone understood. So um, knowing how much she grew and knowing how, how tough it is for her to let people in, for her to have that connection with Big John is just so incredibly important. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. And, you know, you're obviously, you know, in the industry, I think a lot of fans, boosters, supporters, whatever, they tend to look at these big time colleges like Georgetown's part of as, you know, just teams, just, you know, without thinking of 18 to 22, which is your core group. 
that's such a big time. I mean, you talk about, you know, your Monica, the junior, think about how much you had changed since you got there. And all of a sudden you're not just a basketball player, you're a basketball player, but you're a leader. You're helping the younger players. The coaches look for you for that. And just how important though that time of your life is. And for Georgetown to have had big John basically from 1972 until 2020, what an advantage that's been, not just for men's basketball, but as we see here, women's basketball as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, it's, so I don't know about you, Bobby, but my peer group, and maybe it's us sort of millennial-ish. Now we yeah. do this thing where you got to give your people their flowers before they're gone, right? And I do think when we talked Big John, he, at various points while he was still with us, had an opportunity to get his flowers, right? Whether it's yeah. the Hall of Fame speech that he gave, whether it's Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame speech, at different points, he got flowers. But I think to sit back and really look at the duration of his legacy it sort of still is jaw-dropping. And I think the part that is sad is I saw a really great clip the other other day that J.A. Adande posted to support some comments that he had made on a show where he was discussing Big John. And Big John is basically talking about wanting Black coaches to have the opportunity to fail, Mm -hmm. right? He he felt that you can't mess up. He said, I think in the, and I'm just kind of remembering this is not a direct quote, but I believe he mentioned himself and Tubby Smith, and how he's tired of those people being the standard for Black people. He's like, other coaches have the opportunity to fail and still bounce back. And so in many ways, we still see that we've got a lot of work to do for that, in its truest form, to be achieved. You know, you and I could pick apart the numbers of the sports foundations here or there, whether it's women in sports, Black people in sports, whoever in sports, the numbers still bear out that there are not as many leaders of color that reflect the percentage of athletes that are athletes of color, particularly in football and basketball. So um, as proud as we are of his legacy, that work still has to be done. And I don't know how thrilled he would be about the present day progress. Has there been some? Sure. But there's still so much more to go. Yeah. I I know. um, I like Bamani Jones on Twitter. I find him to be one of my more interesting follows and just after his passing, one of the things he focused on was, you know, and look, it's a pretty hard, it's a pretty high bar to say, well, there's not enough John Thompsons. Well, that's because he's so incredibly special and unique that you're not going to, like, they're not just going to be walking around every, on every couple right. of corners, right? Mm-hmm. But his point was, you know, he said, John Thompson, you had Nolan Richardson. He's like, where are these guys? And, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you, you know, you're at ESPN. ACC, um, but in in college sports, I wouldn't even limit it to, to to just men's basketball, women's basketball, football, any other sport you can even think of. I know the ACC network covers everything. Um, you know who 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 is like you know sort of like the next level that can maybe you know get to where someone like like him was. Like who who who's sort of on that next tier for the younger mm. generation? Man, that's a great question. And that that's, and that, really that's one of the things Bamani said. And a lot of people came back with Shaka. And one of his responses was, one of the problems is, is that everyone's coming back with one name. Correct. You know, and, and how is it not, correct. how is it not increased? And a lot of people said Leonard Hamilton. And, you know, it, it's crazy to think he's actually basically John Thompson Jr. Big, I, was, 
I was just about to say that. Leonard Hamilton is better than 70. He looks great, but he's like yeah. well into his 70s. If you if you told me I'm gonna look like that when I'm 70 or 72, whatever he is, I am signing up right now. Yeah, he looks great. I remember looking up his age last year and being like, he's what? That's not right. Yeah. Um, um. So here's what I'll say that comes off the top of mind, and I think yeah. this also is completely in line with what Big John was passionate about and used his voice to support. I didn't think Shaka initially. I thought some assistant, and one that came to mind is actually okay. on staff at Georgetown, and I'm a Georgetown girl. But I actually knew Clint Clark, who is one of the assistants at Georgetown, when Clint was playing high school ball. And so I think of people that love the game, love the athletes that they work with, um, and have that fire in the belly and the ability to connect. And so Clint Crouch is someone, to me, who, if he wants a head coach job, has tremendous upside in terms of what he can do in this space. Um, okay. I also thought, I don't, and I don't know his name, I think his first name is Kyle, but there's an assistant, and I know we don't give too much love to other biggie schools, but there's a young black assistant for um, Jay Wright in Villanova, and I, I can't remember his last name. I think his first name is Kyle, I'm not sure. Okay. But those are two guys who I've seen at events and working out with guys and on the AAU circuit and really connecting with athletes, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, this past season, I really focused heavily on the women's game, but I think of someone like Neil Ivey who was at, hired by Memphis and now has gone back to Notre Dame as the women's head coach opportunity. For whatever reason, and I don't know if it's this idea of women have a place in movements and they don't usually get their recognition until after the fact, I do think that women's basketball is a little bit more poised to make those moves than men's basketball right now because I think that there are so many – former professional, high-level achieving women that now want to be examples and want to be head coaches. Um, yeah, I, think, I don't know if it's quite the same on the men's side. I think I think some of the responses also to his question was um, uh, Don Staley. Yeah, Don Staley, Kara Lawson, who just took over at Duke, I think is going to have a tremendous run. And then even for me, my head coach at Georgetown was Terry Williams-Fanoy. Now, she has not had tremendous success since she's left and gone to Auburn, but she's another one who's been in that space. And if we're going to argue the essence of what Big John is talking about in terms of the right to fail, the fact that she has been able to have a double-digit career as a head coach, and I think she's been to two Sweet 16s maybe, and not had John Thompson levels of success, in a way, is something to celebrate, right? Like, she hasn't had her chop, her head chopped off. Um, yeah. But I, I think... I also think of Butler's head coach, who I can't think of his first name right now, Bobby. Who am I thinking of? Le- Lamar? Le- Lavar? Laval Jordan. Laval Jordan. Yeah, I think Laval Jordan, is, Jordan has a tremendous upside in the coaching game. So um, that's, a, that's a good question. That yeah. They are out there. Um, the numbers just aren't I, probably what they should be. The numbers aren't what they should be. And then as you and I know, Bobby, the pipeline, right? Like that is – the pipeline is so tricky in whatever industry you're in. Even for us going into this journalism thing, like I had my stint of substitute teaching and not sure if I could do this. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and depending on how our craft goes, it could come back. You, you know what I mean? It's just that fluid. And being able to afford to stay the course is a huge thing in this conversation. And I are discussing that, that enough. I can't take a video head coaching job or not head coaching, a video coordinator job with a collegiate program that's paying me 40 grand to live in D.C. And I have, say, bills or a life you know what i mean like you have now we're asking people to have discretionary income that allows them to stay the course i love eric spolester and i know i'm jumping a league here but how many people can be a vc in the back and afford to do that you know what i mean whether it's the literal financial pay 
or the commitment in terms of the hours and the time. So I think we have to start looking at the pipeline as well and what that pipeline demands and how we can support creating more diverse candidates. Yeah, the sacrifices, the people, whether it's the graduate assistants, the video coordinators, you know, you know, it, it's sort you know, depending on on your family support or just different alternatives, whether, you know, the, that that person has a spouse that can, you know, provide mm-hmm. the, the support you need at that time. Um, you see a lot of that in journalism, too. Right. I mean, that's yep. that's kind of, you know, it's hard to kind of hang on. But if you hang on long enough, you can make it. Um mm-hmm. Which, which, which is, you know, obviously what everyone's striving to do. Um, as a former Hoya, well, is that, that, that's kind of a weird way of saying it, right? You're always a Hoya. Um, yeah, former as, Hoya athlete. <laughs> yes, yes, as a former Hoya athlete um, and not being men's basketball, but being right there with women's basketball. Are there any sort of, I know you talked about Big John being there when you guys, um, and it's crazy to think about where the programs are right now, but that score to get to the sweet 16 over Maryland. I remember at the time being like, okay, okay. Um, So big John was there for that. Are there any other sort of just random big John on campus, big John at that time it was at McDonough stories that are sort of suitable for uh, family uh, audiences. (laughs) Um, I can think of, so it's fun. Okay. So my whole story with big John, I will share this story. Okay. I learned something about respect and kissing the ring. Right. Yeah. So, um, I eager, eager me, trying to get into media. I had asked Big John about support because at the time he was doing his radio show, show with 980. Was it 980? Yeah. Was it Bobby? Yep. Yeah, right. Yep. So it was 980. So I'm like, Big John, help me get the 980. You know, let me just get an internship, blah, blah, blah. Right. He, um, he's like, all right, send me your, give me your resume. I'll do what I can. Now me, young, eager, college kid, thinking I'm going to take over the world. Big John wasn't moving fast enough for me. Right? <laughs> Big John, what's, what's going on? What's going on? Um, and, you know, he's like, girl, I got to just chill. And he and he didn't say girl in a disrespectful way to anybody listening. But he's like, it's like talking to my granddad. He could say, girl, relax. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, have voiced this opinion to all these people that support me. And so our director of basketball operations at the time was like, hey, Monty, I found this number. Email this guy. Right. This was not my intention, but it turns out that I emailed someone at 980. So Big John calls me one day before practice, and he's like, you sent the email to is Chuck something, maybe, I think, was his producer. Okay. And I was like, yeah, Tasha gave me that email. He's like, what's wrong? He's like, didn't I tell you to sit still? And I was like, yeah, but I am sitting still, but Tasha gave me that email. And so he was kind of done with me. Like, he's like, I told you I, I had you. You're moving too <laughs> fast. You didn't trust me. And I was like, Big John, like, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. So this went on. Um, this is my senior year, probably. He gave me the stink eye probably for about two months, maybe. Um, and I, I'm, it was a friendly stink eye, but I think in his mind, coming from the regime and the time period, and we know Hoya Paranoia, oh, yeah. um, that was a big deal for him, right? Like, you don't backdoor him. If he gave you his word, he was going to move on it. And while that was not my intention, Bobby, it taught me such a valuable lesson in terms of, one, researching who you're right? I had known who I was hitting up. I wouldn't have done that because I would have said to myself, Big John got it. And right. two, trusting people who have proven themselves to be trustworthy. And to Big John supporting people that were in his circle, he did it, hands down, no questions asked. And so even though that was sort of a tough lesson for me to learn, it was such a valuable lesson because things don't necessarily happen overnight in our business. And I think that was probably one of my first lessons in that. 
Um, so ultimately, you know, he warmed up to me and, you know, encouraged me and, and still lended a helping hand when he could. But I remember writing him this note, like thanking him as I was graduating as a senior and really truly apologizing. And he just kind of smirked and said, girl, we're good. Um, but he's like, I bet I taught you a lesson. And I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, particularly with uh, Hall of Famers and cultural icons and whatever you want to say, unless someone does you wrong, you definitely want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Until right. That. But that's a right. time of your life where you see the end of the road, right? You're out of college. You're thinking, okay, mm-hmm. now what does Monica do? Okay, I need to, I need to get, I need to get some. Cause you know, you're probably hearing your classmates are going here for this or here for this. Yep. And you're like, yep. well, I've decided I want to do this. I got to get something in the, in the ground where I can feel like I've got something. So, you know, I get, I get it, you know, I get it. Um, I could definitely see that being an uncomfortable, uh, hey, I'm really sorry about that, coach. <laughs> right, right. But um, ultimately, um, while that, again, that was a lesson learned for me, all of my interactions with Big John, even on my recruiting visit, and I can't really remember exactly what he said to me, but I remember being like, I'm in Big John, like John Thompson's office. He's talking to me, like me about coming to Georgetown basketball. Yeah. Um. And he, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he very simply sort of asked me, what did I want to do and what could the other schools recruiting me do for me that Georgetown couldn't? And it's funny because I was talking to my mom about it the other day. And she's like, he asked you questions that whole conversation and he listened. And I just thought that was so impressive. He made you think and he sort of drove the whole conversation. And I was like, is that what happened? I just remember leaving smiling ear to ear. Like I just met Big John. She said, yeah, he listened. And that's the thing that I think my mom was so taken aback by. But that is who he was, right? Like he was not a man who just popped off. If he said something, it had gravitas to it. You needed to listen and take note to it. And he also watched everything, you know? Whether you agree or disagree with Hoya Paranoia, I think at that time, being such a transcendent figure in many ways, he had to do what he felt was necessary, not only to protect himself, but to protect his players. Um, But he listened and he watched and he acted and acted and responded accordingly. And he did nothing without giving it great thought. In your observations. So this is obviously, you know, basketball is his thing. He was a great player, played at every level, um, coached not at every level, but he did coach internationally. Um, what, What was your observation for the way that other student athletes interacted with him like what like was that available like did like you know it's hard you know as obviously as classes get younger or no they don't get younger they stay the same age but you know as time goes on knowing about him is more like a parent's thing rather than the kids um but how do you think the other student athletes used him as a resource was he not as available because you only have so much time in a day i guess i'm just trying to think like what else you know what was there any did other students student athletes maybe gain something from him or was it probably limited to basketball in your, in your um, observations? I will say that it was a basketball thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't, I think he did, you know, every now and again would do an event or something on campus. And right. when all the kids filled McDonough for midnight madness, um, even one second about it, not going anywhere. Um, when all the kids filled campus for midnight madness, they fully knew who he was. Yeah. Right. Um, but I don't, he didn't give, no, nah, Hoya Paranoia, right? Even, yeah. even in his retirement, some of that was still his mindset. 
And so he did not give access to anybody, which is, again, why it was so unique to see the depth of his relationship with Sugar Rogers. And there's a couple girls from the team. Sugar Rogers was a player. Deb Williams, who now is um, a manager in Nike's global marketing office. Katie McCormick also played basketball. I know for a fact he helped her get to Nike. Um, okay. And T.T. Romanita. What's T.T.'s married name? I can't remember. But two other young women that were managers for us also had really close relationships with him and he literally made phone calls and put people in position so that they could achieve you know so um it was limited to basketball in terms of the depth of that relationship but like i said if you're in if you were in his circle he looked out and he genuinely did that and you did mention earlier about people i think what was the phrase you used getting getting your flowers Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and the one thing that I brought up, um, I had Gene from the Washington Post right after um, Big John passed away. And the, one of the things I, I think was so important, too often I think you see a court named after a player, or not a player, um, a coach, like after he passes, or a statue or whatever. But he was around for the completion of the Thompson Center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Based on your observations, what do you feel like? Do you, you know, I was there for the grand opening. I'm sure you were there. There was, you know, millions of people there. Um, but just to all, just the way that from when you were there as a player, you're using McDonough. I remember being there doing all the interviews and stuff. And what a difference of a facility. How, how, how proud, you know, he's never going to go out there and just boast about himself, but how proud and how big of a deal you think it was that that got completed while, while he was still with us? I, I don't think it can be overstated. Yeah. Because exactly right. He had an opportunity to understand just how many people appreciated him, how significant his legacy was, and there was no questions asked, right? It's like when we see guys have their jerseys retired and they're with their families or whatever, and and it's so emotional. Um, And we're talking about, usually when we see that now, we're talking about a smaller body of work in the sense that they were responsible for playing basketball. I can only imagine being a coach, a leader of men, when Big John was doing it. Not just because of the basketball, but because of the things that he stood for, because of how he was navigating an NCAA that didn't really have the best interest of his black athletes at heart besides the opportunity to profit off of them, which is a yeah. whole nother conversation that we can go into even still to this day. But I think the convulsions of so many things that Big John represented, do you know, Bobby, a part of me gets pissed off when I hear people say that they think, still think Georgetown was an HBCU, because I can tell you that my experience as a Black person at a predominantly white college was nothing like an HBCU. But at the same time, do people grasp what kind of grasp on culture John Thompson and his teams had? That someone would think Georgetown, of all places, is an HBCU? You know what I mean? Like, I just, his legacy to me is the thing legends are made out of, right? Like there's endless books on his career. And I don't know that there's anyone quite like him. I mean, we're talking about athlete activism. And the onus and the has been athletes. We have not seen not a single coach walk away from a game. or You know what I mean? He walked away from multiple games at the height of his program. Yeah, um, and without totally giving away my age, because I feel like I skew a little bit younger than maybe I am. Um, that ha- I'm I'm local. I'm still local. I've always been a Georgetown guy. That's how this sort of happened. 
but um i didn't go there but that happened like right when i was a little kid and it wasn't until i got to be like in high school where you kind of realize what was going on i was too young to understand what that like you know they like they said what was going on i was in like right. third grade you know, and I'm just like, what, why, why is the coach leaving, you know? And then you sort of get to understand and you're like, wow, that's, I mean, that is just, un and imagine if that had happened in a day right now, like, you know, of, you know, Twitter, social media that right, happened right. like in, you know, the darkness of a world that couldn't communicate as quickly as we can now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know? that's a, and that's a great point. So much of the voice that we're seeing athletes have now can you could date it back to social media, whether that is the access that they have to information, the access that they, or the ability rather that they have to quickly make group decisions and disseminate messages so that they can all be on one page. But this is a man that was doing all of this alone, right? Like alone before it was the thing to do or being celebrated as being on the right side of history. And that goes back to the clip that J.A. Adonde, do you know, by the way, he was a beat writer at one point? for the post i did not know ja was here in the post i thought he was always like a chicago dude no he was and i think again i'm just going to keep dating myself as an old person um i think when i was when I, it was when i was really young not really young but when i was much younger he like the i mean wilbon was the beat writer for georgetown at one point at the post you know i mean ja adonde right so ja adonde was i think when i was maybe high school or something but um yeah so he covered them but that goes back to that quote so John Thompson Jr. in 88, 89, whatever year that was, where he was doing the prop, you know, anti-prop 48, he couldn't do that if he hadn't have been to three Final Fours, right? Won a national mm -hmm. championship, mm -hmm. like taking Georgetown from what should probably be a D3 athletically school at that time, you know, like in the early 70s, yep. to yep. one of the, you know, a national brand that, you know, people are wearing their gear all over the country, right? So yep. that was sort of his point is, the fact like only he could really do that because if you do that and you aren't you know at the top of your game you they just get rid of you yep yeah you know and that that kind of all goes it, it kind of everything is just kind of inter intertwined there but but yeah no i thought <clears throat> there's been so many things out there and you know there's people like you said that had covered him for his whole career that have a different perspective but i thought the way that you showed his relationship after he was done coaching with sugar and with you, I thought that was a pretty good angle. So good job in getting that out there. Monica, it's hard to keep up with you. Like I said, I, I think I remember one of your first times covering Georgetown, you asked a question and I wasn't, I didn't realize you were there and JT three had been like, who are you with? You know, he was kind of giving you a hard time. Um, and I was like, Oh, Okay, Monica. And then, you know, at one point, Ben told me, oh, Monica's going to be a star. I can just see it. And I was like, oh, you know, okay. I don't really know much about her, but she seems really, really, really engaging in, you know, in person. And um, and now, between ACC Network, ESPN, and we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. It, yesterday, I know I, I retweeted some congratulation tweet of, you know, you've got an ESPN radio show. Tell us about this. I did. Um, first of all, thanks for that, Bobby. I appreciate that. And Standig has been a longtime supporter. So um, shout oh, out yeah. to Ben Standig as well. Uh, I, I will say really quick side, sidebar. Standig also was there when I terribly embarrassed myself at the Wizards Media All-Star Contest. And oh, no, I could happened? not hit a... Bobby, I could not hit a single three. The NBA ball is heavy and that line is far. Standig <laughs> had put all his money on me. He like betted on me and I like stank <laughs> up the joint. It was so bad. I was so embarrassed. 
<laughs> you know what, though? It couldn't have been that bad because he hasn't even told me about that. So. Oh, my God. He deleted the video and everything. I was like, thanks, Sandy. Nobody has to see this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. Uh, the radio show, though. Uh, so we're doing Sunday nights on ESPN, wrapping up the week. Wrapping up the week or starting the week, whichever way you prefer to look at it. 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern, game night. I'm working with Ashley Brewer and Tyler Fulgram, and we are going to recap and look ahead all at the same time. Tyler's this our is, betting ex- I'm this is this, this is all sports or just basketball? It'll be all sports. It's ESPN Radio. We're okay. all going to play to our strengths. Tyler's our big betting guy. He's got okay. more experience in the radio space than Ashley and I. Of course, um, Ashley's a baseball, hockey kind of chick. We all love football, which is a big deal. And then, you know, I'm leaning on my basketball chops. So I'm really excited to get to work with those guys. They're young, they're fresh, we've got energy. I've always had a thing for radio, sort of, kind of. So I'm excited to start getting some reps and some experience in that space. Well, nice. Well, I am new to the Sirius family as far as I have it now. Because during the pandemic, I had to get a new vehicle. I went about two months without one. So they basically hook you. They say, hey, here's Sirius XM. It's going to be over in six months. And well, like, there's no way I can get rid of it. It just, I can't <laughs> imagine how life happened before it. Oh, my goodness. Well, since you got Sirius, I hope you'll tune us in, Bobby. But if you don't, you know, you can always catch my podcast, too. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. <laughs> I'm there as well. <laughs> no, it's out, it's out there. And then what's your schedule as far as uh, the ACC network? So we're standing by. I am top... We're obviously with the pandemic, still so okay. much uncertainty. But the last meeting that we all had for basketball is that the tentative plan is that we'll probably be calling games from our house, which is similar to what I did with the WNBA this season. Um, and we'll be kind of getting creative. They still want to keep travel to a minimum. Yeah. Um, so we'll be doing shows from home probably. I really hope that they let us at least go to games, even if we have to maintain distance. But um, studio shows probably will be done from home. And once the conference schedules are sort of set, then we'll get our marching orders. That's awesome. I will say this, and I think that my live sporting events might be ticking down. I've done, I've covered about, I think it's eight NAT games so far for the Associated Press. Mm -hmm. I've got Mm -hmm. one or two more. It's really weird being there because you, you know, you're there. Now, obviously I'm not, I'm just, this is just writing. This isn't what you're doing, but it's really weird to go there and to have no access. So you go there, you watch, and then you just zoom from there. So, I mean, yeah. as you know, the whole advantage of being there is side conversations, you know, building yep. up relationships, f- yep. finding out something that maybe someone else isn't going to know, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that Major League Baseball has been, at least, it's just like, well, you know, you could kind of just do this from home, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So yep. I will I will say that it's it's definitely, but hopefully... And then we could talk for eight hours about this. Hopefully our country gets better and things. Oh, man. <laughs> I do think, I will say on that note, Bobby, I think, one, I think credentials are going to happen to get to, because I do think there's going to be a point at which we start to move more with masks, right? Like if, if they trust the masks the way that we they say they do, then they'll just yeah. be extremely mandatory. Um, but I imagine that there'll still be, you know, if you're not legit with an organization, I feel tough for bloggers, you know? Like, absolutely it could get tricky in terms of access but I, I just there's no way we're going to get the good nuggets anymore because you're right like that's what makes our industry so much fun like what you noticed that turned into a whole thing if we had to be on zoom no one would ever know that colin kaepernick was kneeling like you know what i mean yeah yeah so, no anyway, there's just so many th- no you're right i mean there there's just so <laughs> many things um and you know 
like I, I didn't mention, like the amount of people that are in the Nets press box went from like 50 to like six, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just that's just a couple like I missed my first Redskins game oh, God, I, I'm gonna say that all all year I missed my first <laughs> Washington football team game I think the first one since like 2014 or 13 this past week because wow bec- I mean you know AP would send like two or three people and got one you know it's, it's yeah. not gonna be me that's just the way it is and I I totally get it but it's like ah you know it's just yeah. it's just it's just and then I don't even want to think I mean we haven't even talked about what's going to happen with college basketball. I don't think that's going to include someone like me going to the game is my guess, which will be, that's crazy. I'm voting for you, Bancroft. For whatever that, (laughs) for whatever that's worth, I'm voting that you get to go to the game. That would be great. I mean, you know what though? If there just is a game, that would be a win. Um, Yeah. Listen, we'll take what we can get. (laughs) Going would also be good. Do you want to tell how everyone can follow you? I am last name, first name, McNutt Monica on just about everything. Isn't well, there an underscore being, involved? There's an underscore at the end on Instagram, but okay. Twitter is just McNutt Monica and underscore at the end on Instagram. Um, yeah, and I'm around, you know, just out here hustling, trying to stay afloat in this crazy times and crazy industry. <laughs> You will. Well, this has been a really fun podcast. I'm so glad that you came on and I'm going to have to have you on after you've sort of gotten into your groove on ESPN radio so we can hear about how that's going. I appreciate that, Bobby. Thank you so much for I enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for having me, my friend. All right, everybody. You can find Kente Corner, all the places you find podcasts, Spotify and Apple are the biggest one. That's the most listens. Subscribe. Let us know how we're doing for Monica McNutt. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and we'll see you next time.